Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It... Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon, iTunes, uh, Amazon. All are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook format. Sorry for my little tongue twister. And uh, please do us a favor go out there and buy a couple of copies and show your support for the show. And if you're an audio buff, you can get volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And don't forget, I'm getting a lot of good feedback on my newest book. UFO Sightings and Encounters Volume 1 WJ Sheehan. Check it out. People are really digging this thing. I enjoyed putting it together. There's more to come down the road when the smoke clears over here. And uh, again, we're getting really good feedback on that. So partake of that book. And now, without any further ado, my brother and co host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. So don't just look to the woods. Look to the sky as well. <laughs> Speaking of looking yeah. to the sky, I caught that uh, uh, lunar eclipse last night uh, looking through some thin, wispy cloud cover. It looked pretty cool, right? I actually didn't see it, but my daughter sent me some pictures. Yeah. She was out at the coast, and it looks super cool. Yeah, I love that stuff. And it was a, speaking of super cool... It was a super moon, and when it came up over the horizon last night, man, that thing was awesome. Monster, yeah. Wow. But uh, speaking of things that are awesome, before we uh, dig into your cryptids in the news and other oddities segment, you know how I'm always saying to you, Kevin, to the listeners, people see something because they're looking. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to add to that tonight. People hear something because they're asking or inquiring. And uh, one of our listeners uh, sent out an email, and I asked this fellow, Philip, from Kentucky to give me a call. And he he had given me his number, and I actually called him uh, late one night. And Philip had a Bigfoot encounter. Uh, which I'm not going to talk about tonight, believe it or not. I'm making the (laughs) point about hearing something because I asked something. So as our conversation is rumbling along and uh, we started talking about like, or he started talking about his upbringing and what he did for a living or does for a living and this and that. Well, Philip is a... An embalmer. Oh. He's in the mortuary or, uh, uh, yeah, the mortuary type business, right? Is that the proper terminology? I guess so to me. Yeah, He's and, in the funeral home business. Yeah, and he started off by telling me that when he was a kid, he used to play with matchbox cars on the floor while his parents were embalming a body. <laughs> But wait, it gets better. Oh, no. (laughs) So Philip and I are going on for about an hour, and I told Philip I'm going to call him back because this call is to be continued, and I will. Philip, I hope you're listening. I believe you are. So Philip starts telling me about his uh, building 
that he does his, uh, his work in on bodies. And uh, he has this thing with cameras all around it. Uh, he said it's so clean you could eat off the floor. Uh, and he also is a devout Catholic guy. And uh, he does something with his building. He surrounds the building with salt, sage, and he has some medallions of sort of various saints buried surrounding the building as a form of, like, uh, protection over his work. Now, I didn't really get into that with Philip that night. I'm just telling you what he said to me. Yeah. So here He's we got all- a bit of a spiritual moat. Yeah, a, a, a hedge, if you will, around yeah. his building. So now we're, we're still not even near Bigfoot. Uh, he's got my attention. And so I asked the question, Philip, with your cameras and this and that, have you uh, ever seen anything around the bodies or the building or any uh, activity? And so I don't want to belabor this because I want to get into the rest of our show, but Two things he mentioned to me. One, he sees swinging doors within his building swinging open and closing by themselves as though something is walking in and out. Number two, he commented to me that whenever a child, a baby, is being embalmed in his building, he has seen black dogs around Mm -hmm. the perimeter of the building. I have no idea what that means. Hmm. Number three. I'll tell you what it means, Bill. I'm staying away from that building. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Uh, Number three. He said that at one point he was embalming a woman, I guess that he knew had been a witch. Now, as crazy as this sounds, this I'm reporting to you what the man told me. And while and Philip, if I'm blowing the story here, when we talk, you let me know and I'll repeat it correctly. I'm kind of recollecting here. While that body was in the building, he was hearing hideous screams and shrieking. <sighs> Number four. He heard what he described. He's a well-educated man. He said he's got two bachelor's and two master's degrees. He said he heard what he believed was Latin uh, being spoken. And I forget how he said either from memory or recording or some sort, he was able to capture this language and bring it to somebody who was uh, fluent or familiar with Latin. And the fellow, after reviewing it, said that it was, in fact, Latin, but being read backwards. And, Kev, of all those things I just told you, I have no inkling whatsoever as to what any of that jazz means, except for the swinging doors. Obviously, something moved a pair of swinging doors to go get them to swing open. You know, if you, you or I go through swinging doors, you got to kind of lean into them, push them open, and then get out of the way where they flop backwards. Right. And uh, these things were opening in and out by themselves. I'll tell you what, Bill, you may not have an inkling. I have an inkling. Sounds like something evil to me. Yeah, it does to me too, right? Yeah, me had black dogs, and then when you start talking about Latin in reverse, I mean, what yeah. the heck? I have no, you know, Kev, I mean, so, you know, just when you think you've heard it all, folks. Yeah, I'm telling you. So this yeah. was during the full moon and the lunar eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were having the conversation last night. There you go. <clears throat> but, uh, oh. yeah, man. I'm telling you. And then uh, Philip actually had a uh, a Bigfoot encounter uh, while working as a security guard at a, a, a big coal mine. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that another day. 
rather than to uh, uh, drag on in our show about, you know, all of this stuff when we have other things to do. But I'm telling you, people, if, if you got the nerve to do so, this is how you gain information. You start the conversation. And obviously people that call me, Kev, know they're safe. They're in a safe haven. Uh, so they talk to me, you know. And, uh, man, I got one other thing I'm going to mention to you. And Kev, remind me, I had a Alaskan bush pilot contact me that said he was flying over the tundra in Alaska and sort of saw a group of Bigfoot walking on the tundra. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so I haven't had the conversation with him yet. I will shortly. And if, if he's listening, and I know you are, uh, well, I'll be in touch shortly. Very cool. Yeah. So, Kev, how, how about that for a little introduction? That's quite an introduction, and here I am. I'm just back from a long weekend in western North Carolina out in the amazing Pisgah National Forest. Uh, beautiful out there. So much forest. Uh, so green, uh, but no hairy man sightings. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. I mean, you're out there. I was there. looking. I was looking. Yeah, you're out there, Kevin. I, I guarantee yeah. you one day, one day, the sighting's going to happen. The footprints are going to be found. Tree knock, whatever. You're going to be, uh, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like on fire. Yeah, and one of our listener mails that we'll get to at the end of the show uh, uh, comes in from right around that area. So it was pretty interesting when I was reading the mail. I was like, hey, I was just there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how it goes, man. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah so, so so that that was great. Good to get away. I'm sorry I missed the last podcast, but you did well in your solo effort. And then I just want to talk a minute before I get into this, which is definitely some good creepy stuff. <laughs> uh, just, you know, I'm such a fan of Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen the latest episodes, but it's pretty cool how they had the guys out there that were actually on the naval ship that saw the original Tic Tac UFOs mm -hmm. back in 2004. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool. And they yeah. were and they were saying it was the first time they saw anything you know as real as what they saw uh back then in 2004 was when they were at Skinwalker Ranch this time around. Yeah, and how about those GPS tracking rockets avoiding that one area yes. as they fell? Yes. That is bizarre. Really weird. And yeah. they were saying when they were dropping them, they're going the wrong way. The wind is blowing this way. Yeah, they and were they're going, going the opposite the direction way. of the wind. Yeah, that was pretty weird. And of course, the uh, I forget what the tracking vehicle was called that had all the equipment in it. Every time they would launch, all the electronics would go out. Right. Seconds before the, the launch. Right. They would be like at number three in a 10-second countdown, and he'd be exactly. like, they went out Every again. Every single time. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, but they did mention that in that report that came out a few years back, you know, from the government, that first UAP report acknowledging the existence and the investigation of them and things like that, that uh, one of the key points they mentioned was that, uh, you know, the RF pulses of energy. Yeah. Which is exactly what they're experiencing out there at Skinwalker. Yeah, bizarre, huh? Really so bizarre that stuff. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they've also picked up on that identifiable plane at like 65,000 feet. Yeah, yeah, government uh, G4 or whatever it was. Yeah, uh, they could identify it. Flying it was, around, do some, doing some kind of mapping up there, it looked like. Yeah, right over the property. Yeah, very strange. So there's a lot of characters interested in... A lot going uh, on out there. And, of course, yeah. the history of the place. I don't mean the ancient history, which is pretty spectacular, but also the modern-day history of, you know, who uh, the current owner purchased the place from and how the government has, you know, hid, hidden a lot of the uh, results of what they saw out there when the previous owner owned the place. Yeah, well, I think it's all classified or uh, top secret. Exactly, exactly. So they're not uh, they're not sharing. So pretty cool. So loving the latest Skinwalker Ranch. You know, Bill. I don't want to get in a big debate over it, but um, I'm going to talk about today 
uh, something called Stick Indians. And they talked about the Stick Indians in the most recent episode of uh, Exhibition Bigfoot. Yes. But but my bone to pick, as much as I love Exhibition Bigfoot, I've been disappointed with the last couple of episodes. I mean, like, for me, thank goodness for Mariah. Like, because cause Russell and Ronnie are kind of running off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, thinking about some stuff that she... And she's always there to ground them and say, like, hey, wait a minute, though. Like, we don't really know that that's true, you know. Yeah, And yeah. And the funniest one, I haven't talked to you about this, was a few weeks ago, I think, uh, it was Russell who found that little structure... Yeah, that appeared to be about three feet high, and he's yep, like, "Look, yep. it's like a Bigfoot structure," and and they're looking at it, and they're filming it, and then finally Mariah says, "In my words, you know, not a direct quote, uh, did, but do you notice anything wrong with this structure?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's like, "Well, it's really small," and she's like, yeah. "Exactly," <laughs> and then and then the other fella said, "They were probably training a juvenile how to build a tree structure." I know, and I was like. Really? Yeah. You know, really? Like, I mean, um, I don't know. The wheels are coming off a little bit. I don't know if it's just the editing, you know, like they're trying to make it funny or something in a weird way or uh, if they're losing it a little bit. So that was disappointing. And I love that show. You know, I look forward to it and watch it. And but anyway, but they were talking about something pretty interesting with that shaman or medicine man. Uh, I think it was in the last episode or maybe two episodes ago. And he brought up this idea of stick Indians, the legend of stick Indians. And Uh have you heard of those before? A little bit, but go ahead. I'm I'm into it. So so I did a little bit of research on it and I found some pretty cool stuff. There's an account that I'm going to talk about. But before that, I was looking and I saw some stuff that says that in 1804, the Lewis and Clark expedition, you remember those guys. Yeah. They oh, yeah. stayed for a time with a band of the Sioux Indians on the Vermean River in modern day South Dakota. Okay. And Meriwether Lewis, uh, William Clark, and 10 other men traveled about nine miles north of the river's junction with the Missouri River to see what they called the Mountain of the Little People. Hmm. And Lewis wrote in his journal that the little people were devils with very large heads, about 18 inches high, and very alert to intrusions into their territory. And the Sioux Indians said that the devils carried sharp arrows, which could strike at very long distance, and that they killed anyone who approached their mound. And these little people so terrified the local population, Lewis reported, that the Maha and Atos and Sioux would not go near the place. What? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, so if you're wondering why is he talking about these little people, well, they're also known as stick Indians. Unbelievable. And here here again we have uh, Lewis. Yeah. Uh, commenting on it, it 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 goes back to the Teddy Roosevelt thing like why exactly. would the guy Here's two famous and well-respected explorers and well you know great writers you know documenters and and they're talking about this how bizarre is that and this was in w- northern part of South Dakota yeah South Dakota and then he goes on to say that the Lakota who came to live near this place called the Spirit Mound, have a story no more than 250 years old, which describes how a band of 350 warriors came near the mound late at night and were nearly wiped out by the ferocious little people. That is freaking unbelievable. I know. Wow. What do you think? I mean, what do you make of that, Kev? When you hear that, what do you make of these little people, fierce fighters, arrows that could kill at long distance? What the heck are you thinking when you hear well, that? Well, I mean, it's it's not like what's interesting about it. And this is in a place, right, uh, uh, that's outside of the village of uh, these Native Americans, you know, not right outside. So this doesn't strike me as like a story that they told children 
to keep them from wandering into the woods. Yeah. This this sounds like, you know, something really weird was going on near this spirit mound for hundreds of years. I mean, three uh, 350, I guess, warriors yeah. nearly wiped out? Yep. Uh, that is just so bizarre, just for coming near the mound. Do we know anything about the location or this mound uh, uh, in this day and time? No, I, I didn't look it up where it is today, but I'm sure, you know, it's still out there somewhere wow. here in uh, South Dakota near uh, near the uh, junction with the Missouri River. And and how about, jump back to Expedition Bigfoot for a second. How about that shaman talking about the river and their feelings about it? Exactly. Well, no, that's that's what put me on to this, because he talked about the stick Indians right. and uh, talked a little bit like about the stick Bigfoot. But I don't know if that was the host more than the shaman, because I couldn't find anything significant on stick Bigfoot, but a yeah. lot on stick Indians. And then uh, this this uh, talking about stick Indians and uh, the stick Indians or little people. That the Sioux talked about, Boy, and the that Lakota is, talked about. That is crazy, man. Now the shaman was talking about uh, certain tribes of Bigfoot hanging around this particular river. Right, and, and some were aggressive, and some weren't. And he talked about like the shadow people and the stick people. Right, right, yeah. right. And he yeah. also, when he was asked why the river. He said it's the only river, I think he said it's the only river in North America that flows northward. Ah, well, it's not and, the only one, because I know I just raced my sailboat on the St. John's River in Jacksonville, and that one flows northward. So, Okay. But so it is rare that they flow northward. So Yeah, and he said the tradition in their uh, uh, culture is that it, it goes northward, uh, it's a reminder th- that God could flood the earth again anytime mm. he wanted to. Very kinda, cool. Kind of odd, you know, just terminology and uh, a little peek into uh, some other people's belief systems, you know? Yeah, yeah. He also, he this guy also commented that Bigfoot is not afraid of you at all. And there is nothing you can do to hurt them. Yes, that was very cool. Like they, he said, it's not like they uh, aren't afraid of you specifically. They just don't have any fear. Right, right. Yeah, like he compared it to being a three-year-old or something that, you know, doesn't have any fear because it doesn't understand what it should be afraid of. Right. At this stage. And he said, he said that, you know, uh, he also compared it to a three-year-old uh, pulling the wings off of a fly. Right. Not really knowing what they would do and that they could do the same thing to you in that same mindset. Like, you know, just like, uh, I don't know exactly what he meant by that. Like, they weren't I necessarily know. thinking they were doing harm, but they just rip your arms off. Yep. Uh, unbelievable, man. I mean, this stuff is freaking deep. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I'm so, you, man. so I'm going to get into this account, okay, with Stick Indians that came from uh, NorthwestHikers.net or NWHikers.net. So pretty interesting. And this gentleman wrote an account there, uh, and he says, New Year's Eve, 1991, my wife and I were walking into Boulder Cave in Natchez, Washington. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've actually been there. It's right near Ellenburg, Washington, a beautiful part of Washington State. I'm just not sure if if I'm pronouncing it right. And they were walking in at about 8 or 9 p.m., and they said there was very little snow on the trail, basically just a light dusting over the rocks. And it was a clear night, no moon, but crisp stars and the occasional cloud floating by. Very dark. And they were walking to meet some friends and spend the night at a cave that they would go to once in a while to celebrate New Year's Eve. And at first here, you're thinking like, okay, this is kind of weird, you know. But but he writes, if you were wondering 
We were both sober because we both met a few years earlier at AA. Huh. <laughs> so the guy's not a drunk, you know. Uh-huh, like he's, uh-huh. And he says, uh, back in the U.S. Forest Service, uh, or back then, the U.S. Forest Service were, wasn't worried about bats, and you could hike into the cave at any time of the year. He said, now they close down the caves in the fall to preserve what he calls some near-mythical bats that may or may not actually live in the cave. cave. Yeah. No one's ever seen these bats except for scientists, and they're probably just pulling our leg, he writes. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, as we made it up to trail, well, you know, it wasn't very steep, winding through the darkened pines. Get this. We could hear children's voices in the distance, like a schoolyard or a playground, running and yelling and laughing far away. At first, we tried to think of what this could be. Maybe someone in a cabin or people staying at a camp nearby. But on our way in, we'd see no cars or tracks or signs of anyone else. Remember, there was a light snow on the ground, so there was no footprints. Wow. Yeah. And he said the camp, it's called Rogananda, was closed down tight and no, no lights or fires off in the distance or by the road. What was a large group of children doing playing loudly in the distance up a canyon in the middle of the woods on New Year's Eve? Wow. He reminds us that it couldn't be people sleigh riding because there wasn't enough snow. And it's pretty wild forest there, so who would let their kids out running around at night in the forest, right? Yeah, and enough of them to really be heard. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That so he is says, well, yeah, and he says, laughing, yelling, calling, shouting, playing children, fading in and out as we would stop and listen till it went away and then walk a few dozen more yards only to stop and listen again. We said, do you hear that? Hmm. And we wa- we'd, would wonder to each other what it could be. On and on as we walked up the trail, the children haunted us laughing and screaming and yelling just beyond reason and hearing. Anyway, we got to the cave and told our friends about it and puzzled about it together, but forgot about it after a while. And we listened to New Age music on a boombox with cassette tapes, he writes, Mm -hmm. and burned candles and talked philosophy and mystery and the deep meaning around the fire until the wee hours of the morning. It was Mm -hmm. a beautiful New Year's Eve. Walking out, something had changed subtly, subtly, subtly. The wood seemed a bit ominous. Maybe we just were tired. But as we made our way down the trail, my wife spotted something odd propped up against the base of the tree. Hmm. It was meant to be found. And I think it was meant to be found by us. We thought at the time that it had been left for us by whoever or whatever made the laughing noises. As older and more cynical as I am now, I can still believe that is or could be true, though it certainly wasn't the work of children. Hmm. He says the object is very difficult to describe. He says, but I remember the details of its construction and the size and general shape. Hmm. My wife says it was a man or figurine of a human. I have to believe her, because when I try to picture it, my mind draws a blank. Its construction was like nothing we'd ever seen before, since it was a small abstract figurine woven of tiny sticks, moss, pine needles, and lichen. The bear's hair moss had been braided in individual strands into tiny ropes, which wove in and out of the bits of lichen and tiny, tiny sticks around some bigger sticks, smaller than the diameter of a pencil. Wow. Yeah. He said the damn thing was weird. It was very easy to dismiss the laughing children as a natural phenomena, the wind, our imaginations, or just some strange, inexplicable happenings that had a perfectly logical explanation. The figurine was real, and it Mm -hmm. wasn't on the trail side on the way up. Mm -hmm. It was only there after we were in the cave. Mm-hmm. And no one else had been to that cave where we were. Again, no cars, footprints, no marks in the snow. Wow. Yeah. He says, fast forward. 
The incident got filed away in my memory, and I gradually forgot about it, mostly. A few years later, in the mid-1990s, I got a job working for a local tribe. This job involved lots of downtime, and my native co-worker and I would talk about life and stories and such. One day, I casually recounted these series of events, and he became alert and immediately interested. He quizzed me about every detail, and I recounted the story as I told it here. He told me point blank that we'd run into stick Indians and explained briefly what stick Indians are. And he said, warning, by the way, do not bring this subject of stick Indians up with Native Americans. It's a forbidden subject. Wow. Yeah. So and they say, he says that this person told him the laughing that we heard is how they lure victims out into the forest where they become disoriented and lost as they attempt to locate the children playing in the woods. Wow. Pretty creepy, right? It's like ultra creepy. <laughs> I mean, you talk about freaky deaky, man. That, oh, yeah. that That's just got the freak written all over it, man. No and I'm telling you, those people are lucky they got out alive, in my opinion. I know, and I've been out there. In Ellenburg, right between it's right between Ellenburg and Yakima, Washington. Well, careful. I mean, why don't you just go out there and pitch a tent for a few days? Yeah, and uh, if I see a little uh, stick <laughs> figurine there outside Hi. of my tent, <laughs> all you're gonna hear is a lot of lead flying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, remember the old Sergeant Rock comic books, Kev? <laughs> yeah. Whenever they showed the machine gun going off, it would say, like, Buddha, 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 Buddha. <laughs> uh, or uh, thud, thud, thud when it hits something, you know, when you'd see bodies flying around and people getting blasted all over the place. <laughs> they had the right idea. Whoever wrote that comic was a genius. <laughs> wow, man. So I know that's a lot, folks, but I was away for a week. So, uh, you know, we had to make up some ground here. So, Bill, what kind of account do you have for us this week? Well, following that one, Kev, you know, uh, sometimes I like to go into the archive a little bit because I got a lot of stuff I really enjoy. And I really enjoyed that cryptid account that you just brought to the table. That was freaking fantastic. Uh, But this account was brought to me by a fellow named Terry Philbin, a resident of Louisiana. And this is what he had to say about his sighting in October of 1979. Two years prior to the day of this sighting, Bill, I had met my wife-to-be at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. Mary Mary Beth and I had both signed up for the Air National Guard from two different points of the compass and had first met in a Sunday church service on the base. It was love at first sight for both of us. We actually only saw each other a handful of times while on the base, and then I headed back north and she headed back east to Louisiana. We stayed in touch, and I made several trips down to her home, where on the last trip I proposed to her, and she said yes. A little bit of a love story here. Speaking for myself, I had no real anchor around my leg keeping me in Pennsylvania. She, on the other hand, had an extensive family and a little girl she had had out of wedlock when she was 15. The family, her family, was really tight. And the mother and grandma looked after little Julia, the little girl, while Mary Beth was doing the guard thing. I decided to move down south with them and make a go of it locally. Anywhere that Mary Beth was, I was happy to be. Things were working out really well. I scored a job at a local utility company that actually paid real decent compared to the going wages in the area. According to what I was used to, this was a depressed area, but the people didn't even know it, and they were happy. 
I'm sure that there is more than one life lesson wrapped up in that statement somewhere. At any rate, their family had several homes scattered in a small area. All of them were built on stilts in case of flooding. The reason why I mention this will come into play later on. Mary Beth, Julia, and I had taken over one of the homes as our own, which was really gracious of the family. There was zero mortgage, zero rent, which was quite a way to start off a marriage. Now, the stilts on this particular house were about six feet tall. There was a well-built staircase that came up alongside of the house, which brought you right into the kitchen. Once inside, facing the front of the house were two rooms, side by side, with a half wall dividing them. The room to the left was the dining room, which was connected to the kitchen by a pass-through window for serving food. And the room on the right was a den. Both the dining room and the den had a large picture window on the front wall of the house that actually faced the road. There were houses across the street from us as well as on both sides. And to the rear of our house was a dense forest that became really boggy as you walked into it. I was told by some of the family and locals that there was stuff in those woods that you don't want to meet up with, even when the sun was shining. I, at the time, had taken the message with a grain of salt knowing that these folk were a little bit different than I was accustomed to in the way that they lived and the things that they said. The three of us were in this house for several months, and on more than one occasion, little Julia had called for Mary Beth during the night. On several of these nights, Julia had had come to sleep with us, and when I asked her what she had seen, she said, a big dog. When I asked her what she meant, she said a big dog was smiling at her through the window, and she didn't like him. As I said, the same thing had occurred on a number of nights, spaced out over several months, so it wasn't like every night she just wanted to sleep with us. Now, this house was built on a lot that had an angled grade to it. The side of the house that Julia's bedroom was on only had about four feet of stilt exposed, whereas on the other side of the house, there was a full six feet of exposed timber. I don't know why, but one day I was out next to the house and I grabbed a five-foot-long rake. I held the rake up to the house under Julia's bedroom window. As a rough estimate, It was about seven feet or so to the bottom of her window and about ten to the top. I remember chuckling to myself saying, now that's a serious dog, and I blew it off. I remember this day as though it was yesterday, being the 9th of October. Mary Beth was in the kitchen baking corn muffins while Julia and I were in the den. I was sitting in an easy chair watching the TV, and Julia was playing with some toys on the floor in front of me. I must remind you that this side of the house was facing the street and not the woods. There was a fierce rainstorm raging outside, and the power had flickered on and off several times, and then it went off for good. We lit some candles, and thankfully Mary Beth didn't lose the muffins because we had gas. It was 7.30 p.m., and the lightning and thunder started to come rolling in. So loud and frequent that Julia had jumped onto my lap. I couldn't blame her. It was even freaking me out, so much that I was wishing that I could jump into someone's lap myself. I was looking down at a book with this nice pedestal candle burning next to me. And every time the lightning flashed, the entire picture window in front of me lit up. On one of the flashes, I swore that I saw the silhouette of something large in the window. And when it went dark, and then it went dark. I was now looking straight at the glass, but it was black. 
No sooner had my eyes got accustomed to the dark than another lightning flash lit up the window, and there it was. The upper body of a large, hairy creature with pointy ears sticking up like a wolf. I didn't want to scare anybody, but suddenly I was a believer in Julia's story. I told Julia to go in by mommy because I had to see something, and so she did. I put my face right up against the glass. As I did, I distinctly saw something dart off to the side of the house. I walked down the hall to Julia's window and looked out, but I saw nothing. Mind you, it was very dark and the power was out. I then went to the rear of the house, looking out towards the woods, and saw nothing there either. At about 10 o'clock, the power came back on and the storm was gone. I told Mary Beth I was going out to the car for my smokes and I grabbed a flashlight. I went down the stairs, headed straight for the front of the house where the window was that I had seen what I believed was a creature. I needed affirmation that I wasn't hallucinating or something. But I knew what I had seen, and it wasn't a reflection. As I shone the light on the ground, there was a number of very large and very long, oddly shaped footprints in the soggy soil. Narrow at the heel and very broad at the toes, of which there were four. That's right, there were four toes on each print, and the feet were almost 20 inches long respectively, being sunk into the ground a solid two inches. I looked around with the light, and I saw nothing more. It was at that very moment that my neighbor Clyde pulled up with his truck, his house being less than 30 feet away from mine. When he jumped out, he said, is everything all right? I said to him, you ought to come over here and have a look at this. I told him what happened as we both stood there looking at these prints. He said to me, Sweet Lord Jesus, what you've got there, boy, are the footprints of a Rougarou. He said I never thought in all my days I would ever set eyes on them, and there they are. I said to him, What the hell is a Rougarou? He told me, in these parts, it's known as a wolfman from hell. And you sure don't want to mess with them, no way, no how. From what I saw in the lightning flashes, this thing was halfway up the picture window and its shoulders looked to be four feet across. I could definitely see tall, pointy ears that stuck straight up, like they were pinned the weirdest thing were these four-toed hoof prints that it had left being under the window. To this day, I never go in the woods behind our home unless I am armed for bear, or in this case, armed for Rougarou, whichever comes first. I can't believe he went outside. Yeah. Like, he saw this thing out the window, and then he goes out to check? Like, oh. With a flashlight. Flashlight? I thought that was code for AR-15. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like I always say, Kev, you can't fake stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what was hey, the let woman going to do? That, let me go see what that 10-foot, see if that 10-foot werewolf is still out there. Yeah, yeah. Now that the rain has stopped. That shape-shifting rougarou. Yeah, how would his wife help him bomb that thing with corn muffins? <laughs> <laughs> they do have a soft Save spot one? for corn muffins, especially <laughs> if they have jalapenos in them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word, man. Wow, that oh, is, Rougarou. I, I love the Rougarou yeah. dog, man. I mean, they make the hair on the back of my neck go up. Those yeah, accounts. How about totally. him seeing this thing, the silhouette of this thing flashing in the window high off the oh. ground? And the little girl said it was smiling. You think it was smiling, Bill? <laughs> I don't know, man, but she didn't like it, and they didn't believe her. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was smiling because it was happy. 
They have, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of accounts out there of these things peering in windows at people. I know. In particular, uh, in particular children. Yeah. Which, when I hear that, it always brings me back to the uh, Native Americans calling them, you know, like kidnappers, child nappers. Yeah. There's something going on there with them and kids. I don't know if they have a hankering for child meat or what. I, you know, it's just part of the bizarre nature of the whole thing. Total creep fest. Yeah, yeah. So that's nice. it, Kev, man. I mean, this whole show tonight, man, I think we freaking rocked it out of we the We got the creep on, that's for I'm sure. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to change my diaper. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> so what do we got bro we got any uh listen to mail today yes sir so uh this first one comes in from michael from tennessee yeah and he says it's a very old sighting so he says first wj and kj i love your podcast it's so real when I was a kid, about 40-something years ago, we were a poor family and didn't have a washer in the house. It was outside at the basement, which had no inside stairs. We'd have to go out and wash the clothes in a ringer washer at the basement door so we could fill the washer up. My mom told me to go out and turn the water off. We were going to grandmother's, so, so as I was going down to the basement... I got to the door and heard a noise. I turned around to see what it was, and I saw a big, hairy arm. And it started from, like, the side of it. It raised up till it was straight out, and then it went back to its side. I turned and ran back inside the house to my mom. Oh, man. Can you believe it? I told her what I saw, and she believed me because she said I was white as snow. It scared the heck out of me. (laughs) And he said, at that time, I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, about a mile from the river and plenty of woods all around. Wow, man. I mean, I can't imagine, man. I'd just lose it. Yeah. You know, if that was happening to Michael or you or me or anybody else, man... I think I'd jump clear out of my sneakers. I'm with you. I'm wow. With you. Uh, you know, Kev, the reality is an encounter with Bigfoot at close range, it's just going to blow you away. Oh, yeah. I, I don't believe that anybody who tells me otherwise is telling the truth. No, again, I, I've said it many times. Like that police officer said in Whitehall, New York, that famous encounter where he's looking across the hood of his car and looking at what he called was what he had been told did not exist for his whole life. Yet he was standing there looking at it face to face. Yeah, I'll tell you. And you know what? It reminds me, you know, I look at this as if the thing started advancing at you. Like, you'd be like one of those guys in the old uh, mummy movies where the thing's coming at you, you know, and you're stumbling backwards and then you're tripping over a log or something, you know, like out of your mind with fright. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, that's why, folks, you got to carry ballistics. (laughs) Lead is the key. Just start ratcheting off rounds and reload immediately. <laughs> but that that is a great story, Michael. I could only imagine how terrified you were as a child seeing that. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. No wonder why you looked white as snow. Yeah, I mean, Mike, thanks for chiming in with us. And folks, by the way, you know the rules. We're asking you to contact us, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button. If you've seen something, say something like Michael just did and like Philip did last night. And uh, get on the bandwagon. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Kev. What else, man? Yeah, and our last uh, letter tonight, email tonight, comes in from Jeffrey in the great state of North Carolina. Yes, I'm slightly biased. 
Um, But he says, Dear WJ, I am in the middle of reading UFO sightings and encounters. Uh Super awesome book. Really enjoying it. I was reading it the other night, and I just finished one of the stories and was about to put it down when the title of the next story intrigued me. It was called French Broad River Encounter. Well, I live on the French Broad River, so I had to read it. The encounter took place in Hot Springs, North Carolina, and that is where I'm at. The story sounds like it could have taken place in my front yard. So my daughter read the story to our audience on, on the podcast, The Cryptids in Your Backyard. And we really promoted your books and your podcast. So thank you very much, Jeffrey, for promoting us. We'll have to check out your podcast. Yeah, and He's, The Cryptids in Your Backyard. Cryptids in Your Backyard. And he said, we'd love to have you and Kevin on the show. Keep up the great work. You guys are amazing. Jeff and and Bill, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I was just out near the French Broad River, which is out in uh, western North Carolina, right? Flies right down through, believe it or not, Transylvania County, North Carolina. That's right. We do have a Transylvania, (laughs) folks. And uh, right down near Asheville, near the city of Asheville. So super cool. Uh Yeah, well, you know, these sightings, folks, and encounters, uh, including my own, are happening all over the place on a daily basis. And we hear about a fraction of them. We got MUFON out there. Uh, I was even thinking, Kev, uh, maybe someday when things free up a little bit, I might try to avail myself to MUFON locally. Sure. Uh, I'd love to... uh, uh, do some interviewing of uh, people locally that have seen stuff uh, as I have. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to swing that door open. If anybody out there is with MUFON and is listening to my voice, you can reach out to me and we can have a conversation, you know. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, he said he was enjoying in the, the book, folks, and it's worth reading. There is a lot of high strangeness in that book, man, coming from all over the globe. I'm talking Europe, United States, South America. There's stuff going on all over the place. Yeah, super, super cool. And reach out to us, folks, at our website, BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com. Under the Contact Us tab, send us an email. Tell us you like the podcast. And if you love the podcast, give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. We love to hear from you. Yeah. And, uh, Kev, where was that? Man, uh, you know, let me just say this. Folks, if you should find yourself walking around or hiking and camping in northern South Dakota, and you start to hear some children giggling and laughing, you better take it a little easy and make sure that you're always carrying more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight and watch out for stick Indians. (laughs) 